from Kurtco Media. Coming up on this episode of Life Done Better. I mean, muscle is the organ of longevity. It determines everything about how we age, or like you said, how we reverse age or don't age. It is truly the key to longevity and the most underappreciated organ that we have. Welcome to Life Done Better. I'm your host, Jody Young. My guest today is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. She is a functional medicine physician specialized in the concept of muscle-centric medicine. Gabrielle recommends high-quality protein diets, supplements, and resistance training to improve health, reduce chronic disease, and boost overall energy and wellness by focusing on building and maintaining healthy body composition and lean muscle. Welcome to the show, Gabrielle. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Tell me about your mission on this planet. Well, I love that you asked me first off what my mission is. And I think that there's a component of that that's very compelling. And throughout my training, I have seen this failure of a fat-focused paradigm. As a culture and as a society, we are constantly talking about obesity, adipose tissue, being overweight, overfat. And what so struck me is that people continue to A, lose the same five to 10 to 20 pounds. And you know this fat-focused paradigm, we have a failure of it. The majority of the people will always regain the weight. The diseases of aging, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, where everyone is saying these are diseases of adiposity, that's actually not where it starts. These are diseases of impaired skeletal muscle. And that is at its very core, the essence of muscle-centric medicine. It is about changing the paradigm of thinking about health and what it truly means to be able to take us to this place of optimal health and longevity. And then you're talking about skeletal muscle, the muscles that we voluntarily move, right? That we contract. And so when you talk about really focusing on the muscle, would you say use a resistance band or use some weight? Yeah, I think that the conversation as it relates to optimizing skeletal muscle really is a two-prong approach. Number one, and very essential, is high-quality protein, right? You cannot get around that. And the second aspect of high-quality skeletal muscle is also high-quality training, and in particular, resistance training. And it's so interesting that these two components, high-quality nutrition, really arguably animal-based nutrition, because high-quality protein is different in different substances, for example, in broccoli versus, say, a burger, so that is different. And then this concept of really targeted resistance training, I think that for many years, yoga and Pilates, especially um, for a female, has been kind of the focus and they're great. They're great as adjunct training tools, but you cannot discount that high quality resistance training, truly stressing the muscle, having a certain amount of volume and going to a particular fatigability it's so important and it cannot be ignored. So while working out, we're breaking down the muscle a little bit, right? And then the protein repairs it and then makes the muscle fiber stronger. Yeah. And it's a real essential part of nutrition. So you actually bring up a really good point. 
and this is a, a very practical application when it comes to augmenting proper training, you will hear really two aspects in the literature. One will say, you know, it doesn't really matter when you consume protein. And I suppose that that is true if you're younger, right? So if you are younger, and when I say younger, maybe 20s and 30s, you think about the total protein intake in a 24-hour period. However, as you age or go through any kind of hormonal change, which arguably we all do, the protein post-training is more beneficial. And the reason is the muscles are very primed. So they are primed to absorb the nutrients. There's a lot of blood flow going through the tissue. And in fact, data shows that you can get a augmented muscle response, a muscle protein synthesis response when you consume protein, in particular high quality protein with the appropriate amino acids right after training. And this is especially important as individuals age. And so name three things that you think of the most high quality protein options that we should be consuming or thinking of after a workout. Absolutely. So whey protein is fantastic. And it's, it's interesting because that's people think, oh man, that's old school bodybuilding, but whey protein allows for a small ingestion and a quick absorption. So you could actually get 20 grams of high quality whey protein you drink it all at once and it has the proper amino acids to really help with not only muscle repair, but also with the complete amino acids. So there's essential and non-essential. So those essential amino acids are really oftentimes the limiting factor, although you do need all the complete proteins, which is why you wouldn't just take a branch chain amino acid. So whey protein is number one. It's also easy to consume because most people after training don't like to eat a lot, right? It's very hard. And, you know, listen, realistically, you probably could give yourself 90 minutes. Then the second part is when you think about drinking your protein, your whey protein shake, it should be done at one time. It shouldn't be sipped over three hours. And if you were to be wanting food, then a high quality protein source would be beef or chicken or even fish, which would require a little more protein, eggs. And how about hemp seeds? I really like the cleanliness and the simple idea of eating hemp seeds as a protein source. So with a plant-based nutrition, you would need roughly 30% more. So if you have a hemp-based shake, if the hemp-based shake says 30 grams of protein from a biological availability, you really think that it has 50% of that. So say around 15 grams. So you'll want to augment another 15 grams. So the hemp shake should be about 45 grams of protein. That's good to know. So you recommend animal protein and, and a lot of people are scared of animal protein nowadays. They're moving away from animal protein. They're, they're going back to a more planned protein diet. Can you please explain to us like why you're a big fan and why you think it is important to incorporate animal protein into your diet? What's so interesting is according to the NHANES data set, which is the largest data set, Americans are already eating a plant-based diet. So 70% of our calories come from plants already. I will just say that the average American eats 1.8 ounces of meat a day. That's not very much. And the issue becomes when we tell people to go more plant-based, what happens is, is they cut back already a lower protein diet. And when you're young, that's okay. So if you're in your 20s and 30s, that's okay. But what happens is 
the muscle mass and the quality of your body composition when you are younger determines everything about the trajectory, how you age. So if you take that more plant-based diet and you push that into midlife and then later life, you then start to run into issues with skeletal muscle mass and bone density. And I'm not saying we should just eat animal products. I, I don't think that that's true at all. I think we have to have a fundamental understanding of the importance of high quality protein because it protects everything about how we age. We know that the more skeletal muscle mass you have, the better the survivability. We know the high quality protein feeds the immune system, helps with gut turnover, helps with repairing and rebuilding the body. A lot of women and a lot of people suffer from binge eating disorder and emotional eating. And there's this concept called the protein leverage hypothesis. And the protein leverage hypothesis is people will continue to eat until they have met their amino acid threshold. And this is what some people believe to be a component of obesity, the reason that drives obesity and the reason that many people will continue to feed. And, you know, it's so interesting in my 15 years of medical practice, I have seen that when protein is on the lower end, people are much likely to engage in really dysfunctional behavioral patterns with food. That is so interesting to hear. So when you talk about high quality protein, what do we need to look at? Like what are the labels? What are the sources that we should get our meat from? And how much do we eat? Are there some guidelines that you can share with us? Number one, when you think about how much to eat, I recommend one gram per pound ideal body weight. So let's say you're 125 pounds and that's your ideal body weight that you eat 125 grams of protein. The average American eats 80 grams of protein and 300 grams of carbohydrates. So we really need to rebalance this macronutrient distribution by bringing up high quality proteins. And listen, you can absolutely do vegan and vegetarian sources. You just have to be mindful that the amount of extra calories and carbohydrates that are coming from these plant-based protein sources, for example, if you were to compare quinoa to chicken, because quinoa people say is higher in protein, you would need six cups of quinoa to have the same amino acid profile as three ounce chicken breast. So I think that it's really important that we change the narrative because why animal-based products get so much heat isn't because it's based in science, it's based in emotion. Right. I think the concern oftentimes is also the environmental health, right? What is the health of our planet? Because we do hear that raising cattle and the production of meat is causing the earth to suffer. You know, as it relates to the U.S., the majority of environmental impact, greenhouse gas is travel. So transportation, electricity and industry. That makes up over 80% of the impact on the environment. The agriculture is much lower. And in fact, beef contribute to 3.4% of greenhouse gas. And so do you think that there are better ways to raise cattle and to have them um, become more grass-fed and quality? Because we are always doing quality over quantity here, right? So I think that there's always capacity for improvement, but I think that the agricultural specific cattle argument in the environment is the wrong argument. If people really care about the environment, they shouldn't be having avocado toast if they live in Minnesota. Gotcha. Because of the travel, the avocado needs to travel a long time, the carbon footprint. So we have to be really careful about 
you know, if cattle is responsible for 3.4% and industry, electricity, and transportation are responsible for 80 plus percent, 50% of the fruits and 20% of the vegetables that we eat, we don't have the climate. We have to import it or it it grows in a different climate, you know, in a valley in California and we're shipping it. Cattle does a lot more than just produce waste. There's regenerative agriculture. They are upcyclers of nutrients. They take low quality protein and produce high quality protein. Food waste has a much bigger impact. People throw away a lot of fruits and vegetables. Fruits and vegetables travel very, very far. But again, the real conversation is if people care about the environment, you've got to be conscientious of transportation, electricity, and industry. That's a good point. And so how much should we be eating? Would you say eat meat daily or three days a week? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I can tell you personally, we eat some kind of meat every day. And I would say the majority of our calories come from green vegetables, fats, and high quality proteins. I think that there's never been a study that shows you that is a high quality randomized control trial to say this amount of meat is not good for you. And in fact, there was a recent study about, you know, from the Annals of Internal Medicine that said, actually, we shouldn't be cutting down on the meat that we're consuming. Well, good. I, uh, I'm going to have a successful day this morning. I started with two eggs, a little bit of ghee butter, a little Perfect. feta cheese, and some cucumber and tomatoes. And so we are was- on our way to Maui for breakfast. Yes. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode is supported by another great health and wellness podcast, Get Fit Guy. When it comes to getting and staying fit, we could all use someone to help us learn new techniques and keep us motivated. That's where fitness coach Brock Armstrong comes in. Brock recently joined me on Life Done Better for a conversation on goal setting and the power of self-talk. On Get Fit Guy, Brock shares the tips you need to reach your fitness goals and move through life with ease and enjoyment. In just 15-minute episodes, he covers practical topics like how to train for a 5K, how to properly warm up and cool down, and how to make the most of recovery days. And he'll share advice for applying mindfulness to your workouts, using exercise to sleep better, and creating a top-notch home gym. Listen to new episodes of Get Fit Guy every Tuesday. Just search to get Get Fit Guy wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. What does affect our cholesterol? How can we lower if we are in a danger zone or if we're going there, how can we best lower cholesterol? I think that getting body composition correct is really important. And when you are really looking at cholesterol, you have to adjust for carbohydrates first. Just the way in which it repackages in the liver, you must adjust for carbohydrates. And that is the number one thing that you can do. So if you want to support family members, really encourage them to reduce their intake of excess carbohydrates, which is super common. The average American eats 300 grams of carbohydrates a day. Right. And, and then mostly processed carbs, because I do you know, love the statement that you made. The problem isn't carbs. It's the overconsumption of processed carbs, right? And right. then we're talking about white flours, right. GMO corn. Exactly. Processed carbohydrates. If you can't pick it, then it's probably less than ideal. And listen, that's not for everybody. So there are some individuals that have a lot of flexibility in their nutrition choices. 
but it shouldn't be the mainstay of your nutrition. Highly processed foods are very palatable and that palatability leads to overconsumption. That's right. I personally love carbs and I would like to print a t-shirt saying this body is made by carbs uh-huh. simply because uh, carbs have had like such a bad rap. Again, trying to open the door to carbs, good carbs. When we talk about good carbs, I think about vegetables too. Right. Vegetables have carbs. Last night I roasted some regular potatoes and some sweet potatoes, some purple potatoes some squash. I mean, all carbs, right? A whole plate of carbs. Then I had some edamame soybeans. And I'm just thinking, well, this is the meal I'm craving and I want. What kind of carbs would you say are your favorites and you'd recommend for everyone to keep eating and indulge in? Like something that is yummy, but also really nutritious. Well, first I have to say, I love that you said that carbs are not the enemy because I absolutely agree with that. And I think that we should never demonize a food group, whether it's protein or carbohydrates, because it's just not accurate. That being said, we actually do eat carbs. I almost never eat carbs for my first meal of the day because that can create a more robust insulin response. When that happens, you're kind of chasing hunger all day long. But the carbs that we typically have, we eat a lot of berries. We eat a lot of potatoes. We do sweet potatoes. We do purple potatoes because they have those anthocyanins in it, which makes it that purple color. I had mentioned before that I'm six and a half months pregnant. So we do eat a lot of white potatoes as well, which some people definitely have a, a problem with. So again, we shouldn't demonize large food groups, but these are not processed. I do tend to really balance carbohydrates with other things. So fats and proteins for sure. My daughter doesn't snack on carbs by themselves, but always has something to slow down the absorption. So a good fat would slow down the absorption. Wonderful. Yeah. So we use red palm oil. We use ghee. We use avocado oil. We use olive oil. We use butter. So what are the most surprising elements and issues that your patients are dealing with nowadays? As it relates to health things that I'm seeing that is a bit unusual, I am seeing a tremendous amount of parasitic infections. But again, this is likely my patient population because patients come to me after they've been to 15 other doctors and they're still not feeling well. So I think that that is a area that I'm exploring more and more. And where do these parasites come from? Like I I do hear a lot about parasites too. I have friends that have dealt with them. And do they ever go away? Can you really kill or flush them out of your system? The issue isn't killing them. The issue is the diagnosis of them. In the US, we're, we're not so keen and capable of the diagnosis of the parasitic infections. So typically I will send samples overseas. And again, I, I deal with a very unique patient population. They travel a lot. It is very common to have a parasite. It is very difficult to identify what parasite it is, and it is also very treatable. So what are the symptoms? Like I have clients that have some real issues and they go from doctor to doctor and they can't figure out what's wrong with them, but there's some really, like they really know in their gut that there's something wrong and they can't figure it out and they get really sad and depressed. Right. I would say one of the things is an extensive travel history having an animal that you let like on, you know, that the animal licks them on the face, eating a lot of sushi or tartare. Mm -hmm. Ever remember having a pretty significant bout of food poisoning. 
And the people with parasitic infections tend to go in cycles. So sometimes they're better and sometimes they're worse. And typically they've had a very hard time getting diagnosed correctly. They've done a SIBO test. They've done a GI map test. They've done the stool kits that are recognizable in the US and everything comes back negative. Mm-hmm. And they're still really symptomatic in their gut. And maybe they're having some skin manifestations that is almost always some kind of parasite. I would love to touch down on the amino acids. Like we know that there are 20 amino acids and there are non-essential ones and essential ones. Now the essential ones, there are nine of them, right? And these are obtained through diet and the non-essential ones are made by the body. So another 11 are made by the body itself. Now I am a big fan of the amino acid uh, supplementation, L-lysine. I've always had cold sores. Like uh, they would come every so many months, maybe a few times a year, but when they do appear, they're big, they're ugly, they're right? Like in your face, literally. And so I have been supplementing with L-lysine. And if anyone is dealing with frequent cold sores, I would highly recommend L-lysine because I have not had cold sores in years. Right. So can you tell me a little bit about L-lysine? Because I know it's not just for cold sore prevention. I know you talk a lot about L-lysine because it's a vital role in building muscle. Well, lysine is an interesting amino acid. It's it's not the primary one for muscle building. And it absolutely does have some good evidence, like you said, for cold sores, because it, it beats out arginine for fuel for the a viral infection. When you think about L-lysine, it is very low in grains and, and things of that nature. And so it is one of the essential amino acids, and it really is required to be obtained from nutrition and typically high quality proteins like beef, chicken, eggs, all have bioavailable lysine. When you think about some of the other essential amino acids, which are really key when it comes to body composition, you really think about the branch chain amino acids. And these are oftentimes the limiting amino acids. And especially when it comes to this concept that we talked about in the beginning of the podcast, which is muscle-centric medicine. Leucine is very important for muscle protein synthesis. In fact, it is the trigger amino acid. And that is where my recommendations come from on how much protein you should have in the day and how much you should have per meal. Because if you get the leucine content correct, everything else falls into place. And what's so important about leucine is that it does need to be obtained from the diet. You cannot make it. It is really the key when it relates to body composition. So we all want to live a long, healthy life with longevity, and we want our muscles to be healthy. We don't want to fall and break a hip. And leucine is required to stimulate the process of muscle protein synthesis. This does not mean you're going to get big like a bodybuilder. What this means is you're going to have the proper amino acid that is going to stimulate this whole process. And you're probably thinking, oh, Dr. Lyon, what does that actually mean? Well, that's why I translate the concept of a meal threshold. So a meal protein threshold should be between 30 grams of protein, upwards of 50 to 55 grams of protein. And this is a very specific recommendation based on leucine. When you get this right, the amount of lysine, the amount of methionine, all the amount of other amino acids fall into place because by targeting for muscle protein synthesis, by targeting for optimal protein, then you get the trickle-down effect of everything else. 
And that's really key. And that way it simplifies the science to make things very usable and user-friendly for people. So all they have to think about is, man, they just need between 30 and 50 grams per meal. Their target should be one gram per pound, ideal body weight. Of course, there is an ebb and flow. People can decide if they're going to titrate carbohydrates versus they're going to titrate fat, but it's a good starting point. So the essential amino acids are really responsible for many processes in the body. In fact, all amino acids play a very unique role. We don't eat for protein, but we actually eat for the amino acids. For example, arginine plays a role in blood pressure. It plays a role in vasodilation. It's a precursor for NO2, which we've all heard. You know, that's kind of like the beetroot juice, you know, NO2. But understanding that leucine is the primary driver for muscle protein synthesis, if your listeners walk away with nothing else, but understanding how important that is, and that's why being protein forward and being muscle centric is so important. Yeah, this all sounds super helpful. And I would love to visualize the 30 to 50 grams of protein that you see on your plates. Can you give an example? Yeah. So that's anywhere between, that could be a protein shake, Mm -hmm. right? That could easily be a scoop and a half of whey protein. It could be five or six eggs, which people might not eat. We eat it. It could be five ounces of a burger, which is pretty easy to eat, or six ounces of salmon, something like that. If an individual doesn't want to eat that kind of protein, you can always eat a smaller amount and then augment with a branched chain amino acid powder. Excellent. And so there are many meat substitutes on the market these days that are highly processed, right? What are some of the better meat substitutes that you'd recommend? So tempeh would be a good choice. That's really probably the number one that I recommend if an individual doesn't want to consume the higher quality protein. So tempeh or those rice pea blends, those shakes that are rice pea blends. Of course, we don't know the long-term effects of having isolated rice pea proteins, but that, that would be the next best choice. I wouldn't recommend like a highly processed impossible burger, whatever that is. I would never recommend something like that. I'm happy to hear that tempeh is a good choice and I should put that back on my grocery list. No, I feel wiser talking to you. So thank you for clarifying so many of these topics. I know I'm firing one question after another. But, uh, you know, these are really important things. I feel like so many of us are confused. We don't know if we should eat a banana, not eat a banana, because, you know, bananas are high in sugar, they're not, and then they're good for you, not good for you, good for constipation, not good for constipation. Ah, the list goes on. So we are getting a lot of contradictive messaging. We don't always know all the answers. In the end, I always say to my client, your body is a free lab, right? So you can test if you feel drawn to, let's say, eating more meat or going vegan or, you know, going raw or whatever your natural inclination is. Try it. See how you feel. If you feel good, keep doing it. If you don't feel good, you know it's not for you. And then our age. We all age at the same pace, well, day by day, year to year, but we can also reverse some of the aging. And that's where your muscle-centric focus is coming in because it's also anti-aging, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, muscle is the organ of longevity. It determines everything about how we age, or like you said, how we reverse age or don't age. It is truly the key to longevity and the most underappreciated organ that we have. So you're saying keep working out and keep feeding those muscles with high quality protein. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Thank you so much, Gabrielle. How can we stay in touch with you? 
Yes. So I'm very active on Instagram at Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, L-Y-O-N. I do have a YouTube channel where I do a lot of education. So it's free education. And I have conversations with my longtime mentor, Dr. Donald Lehman on there. I also on my website, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, I have a free newsletter. And if you are interested in what I'm saying, please feel free to download my protocol and it will really help clear up questions. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and I do my best to answer everybody. I loved talking to you and I'm so glad you cleared up a lot of confusion and sprinkled your wisdom over life done better. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was produced and edited by AJ Mosley for Kurt Co. Media, mastering by Steve Ricky Berg. Thank you again to Dr. Gabrielle Lyon for joining us on the show. You can see more of her work at Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, that is L-Y-O-N.com. Until next time, my friends, have a beautiful day. Kirkco Media. Media for your mind.